we are going to finish this chapter and go on to chapter four. We've got two more weeks uh, after this one as we go through this, as we've gone through this great letter of Colossians, and then we'll begin our Christmas Advent series, and we're going to be looking at 1 John as we start that the first weekend of December. But Colossians 3.22 is where we find ourselves this morning. This is God's word. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. So this morning, we're going to talk about the relationship between employer and employee. And I know many of you are working today, and so this is very practical for you. Uh, But before we look primarily at that part of the passage, I need to address the first part, and that is slavery. Uh, Because I'm sure you're wondering, what is a bondservant and why is slavery in the Bible? Well, I kid you not, about two weeks ago, I was talking to a friend who is not a believer, who's not a Christian, and they've been asking a lot of questions lately about Christianity. They're really intrigued by Christianity, but there's certain questions that they have that are keeping them uh, from joining the church and becoming a Christian. And as I was talking to this person for about an hour and a half, one of the questions that uh, he was struggling with was slavery. Uh, He was asking me, Seth, why does the Bible talk a lot about slavery? It seems as though when you read the Bible, it seems like God never forbids slavery or condemns it. And so I really struggle with that. Why would God allow slavery to happen and why would he be okay with slavery? Uh, Well, uh, this passage is one of many in which my friend referred to, and when you just look at verse 22, face value, you'll see bondservants obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. A bondservant was really a slave, and in the Roman culture of this day, a person would owe money to a certain master or a landowner, and they would be enslaved by that landowner until they were able to pay back what they owed. Hence the word bond servant. They owed a bond and they were the servant to that landowner or to that master. And this was referred to as a slave. And so this verse, it seems like Paul is saying, do everything those, uh, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, slaves. So it seems like Paul is kind of promoting slavery if you just read it like that. But here's the reality that I I said to my friend and I would say to you if you were ever asked by someone about this topic. The first thing we need to understand is that God does not automatically endorse a practice just because it's described in his word. He does not automatically endorse a practice just because it's described in his word. This was a Roman culture thing. This was not a God culture thing. Uh, The culture that the believers of the day found themselves in was a Roman culture. And that Roman culture was a secular, non-Christian culture. And this was the hand that had been dealt to Paul and the other apostles as they wrote to people who were literally slaves. And as I think about this, I think about even divorce. Divorce is mentioned in the Bible, but it wasn't ideal. 
God designed marriage between, to be between a man and a woman, and he designed marriage to be sacred and to be special and to not be broken. But yet there were times in Scripture that referred or that talked about divorce. God didn't necessarily endorse divorce, uh, but it was written in Scripture. In the same way, God doesn't endorse slavery, but it was the reality in which his people found themselves in, in those days of Rome. It was said that scholars said that uh, there was about 40% of the Roman culture that consisted of slaves, 40%. And when you, when you did the homework and you did the history, a study of the Roman history, you found that over 600 million people were slaves. And so again, it was, it was what God's people were living in and many of whom were slaves. And so Paul was simply instructing those in that system to behave in a godly manner. Paul in the Bible, he never supported slavery, but instead he actually supported freedom. And he encouraged slaves to buy their freedom and to gain their freedom. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 21 and 23, he said, were you a bondservant when you were called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you gain your freedom, avail yourself of that opportunity. In other words, be, seek to be free. Verse 23, you were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. Do not become enslaved to men. And the ways in which a person was enslaved was if they lost a war, if they owed a landowner money or a master money, or if they were born into slavery. But it's interesting though is slavery in those days was a lot different than what we think about slavery to be in America. In America, slavery should have never happened. It was unjust. We, we should have never had slavery in our history as America. It was based on ethnicity and people were treated wrongly in America. In the Roman culture, people were mistreated and many were seen as second-class citizens and many were also treated fairly in the sense of that of an employee. Many slaves back in the day of Paul, they had their own property. They even took the name of the slave owner so that when they were free, they would keep the name so they, they could get a leg up on society. Many bond servants or slaves were doctors. They were artists. They were musicians. They were contractors. They had important jobs in their society. So it's a very different context than what we think about when we think about slavery. It still wasn't right but it's very different than what we think about. But here's the other thing that I wanna say about slavery that is mentioned in scripture. Paul promoted the doctrine of equality in Galatians 3.28 when he said, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This was a male-dominated society where women weren't treated well, children weren't treated well, and slaves weren't treated well overall in this Roman society. What Paul said in Galatians 3 was revolutionary because he's saying, in God's eyes, everyone is equal. We all have equal worth, equal dignity. We are all of equal value in the sight of God. And so it elevated women, children, and slaves. It elevated people was the Christian reasoning and the Christian truth. And so because of that, eventually, slavery ended. And I attribute that because of the Christian teaching. 
So I know that's a long answer, but I just encourage you, when someone asks you about slavery in the Bible, remind them God did not endorse slavery. In fact, he promoted freedom, and he promoted equality when it comes to people. Paul's day, his godly counsel written here, helped the household function appropriately with the culture that they were living in. So now that we've got the topic of slavery um, underway or out 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 of sight, let's talk more about you and how this passage relates to you and to me. How does it speak to us today as an employer and as an employee relationship? First in verse 22, Paul said, Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers. He's saying here, slaves, do not obey your masters by way of eye service, by way of people pleasers. What was he getting at here? Well, some slaves were working only to get the recognition of their boss, of their master. Eye service means with a view of impressing others. It means putting on a show or putting on a performance just to be recognized and receive receive recognition for a job well done. You may have heard the term or the motto, when when the cat is away, the mice will play. You ever heard that? What that is, is saying that when the boss is away, you can play. You can do jobs halfway. You can cut corners. You don't have to work hard when the boss is not around. That was what Paul was getting at when he was telling God's people. He was saying, hey, don't be people pleasers here. Don't try to get approval from your master, but instead get approval from the Lord. You're serving him. And because of that, when your master's away, you should still work with integrity. You should still work wholeheartedly. You should still work with great loyalty. Paul was saying to the Christian worker, and he's saying to us today, He's saying that that an employer, a boss, should be able to give things to you to do. In other words, he should load you with more responsibility and he should be able to leave you with the hope that the job will get done appropriately. So as Christians, our managers should be able to leave us and they should be able to load us. What do I mean by that? Well, they should be able to leave us knowing that the job will still get done when they're not around. They should expect a job well done from us as believers. We should not cut corners. We should not do halfway jobs. We should get the job done and be efficient and effective, especially when our managers aren't around. And they also, our managers should be able to load on us more responsibility because we're efficient, we're productive, we're hardworking people. As Christians, we should not have the reputation of doing things halfway and of being lazy. We should have the reputation of being the hardest working people out there. You know, I, I kid you not, there was a, a story, Chuck Swindoll, he, he knew of a friend who was a manager and his manager was a non-believer and he had hired these two seminary students, these two young people that were training to be pastors. And he said, Chuck Swindoll, he said, I I just can't get these guys to work a full day. Like they always talk to each other about what they're learning in seminary and they they aren't effective in their job. All they're talking about is theology and and, and the study of God and, and they're just getting into the scriptures and they're not doing the job. And he said, it got so bad, I kid you not, that one day, one of the young men, he took a bathroom break and it went 20 minutes 
And I overheard him coming back and telling his friend, hey, I just had a great 20-minute break. He said, I was on the John reading three chapters of John, and it was great. (laughs) He said, that's when I had it. He said, what in the world was this guy doing? He said he should have taken a few-minute break and got back to work. That's not what we are supposed to do as Christians. Now, granted... If you're working in a non-Christian environment, you know, we, we pray that you'll have opportunities to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus to, to the people you work with. But I would encourage you, wait till they ask about it, wait till a break to do that. You know, when, when you're hired to get a job done, get a job done, get it, get it done. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, again, be mindful of the reputation of yourself as an employee. You, as a believer, should work with all that you have and be the best worker that you can be so that it can lead people to Christ. It can be a good witness because of your work ethic. You know, the reality is, as I'm looking around the room, I know you, I'm your pastor, and I know many of you are in situations at work that are not good. Some of you are just kind of tired of what you're doing. Some of you are weary. Some of you don't have good management. Some of you didn't get that promotion you wanted or you haven't gotten that raise you wanted. And so it's easy to see work as just a means to survive and to make ends meet. There are four categories that people often view work in. The first conventional response to work or category is you can be disengaged with work where you just go through the motions. You're not passionate about what you're doing Work is just a means to receive a paycheck and it's a means to retire. Your ultimate goal is retirement and that's all you're focused on when it comes to work. You're emotionally disconnected with your job. There was a Gallup poll that said 71% of Americans are either not engaged or actively disengaged in work. There's no purpose to you and you're disengaged. The second conventional response to work is where you're disappointed with your job. You have a lack of contentment You have unmet expectations. There might be a shattered dream, a death of a dream. Work feels to you like a deficit or a dark cloud. You might have recently been passed over for a promotion. You know, this Gallup survey said less than half of U.S. workers report being satisfied with their job, and a third are dissatisfied in the amount of money they earn and the amount of stress in their job. The third category, you might be feeling overengaged, and this could be seen as a virtue, but it's not where you allow your work to consume your time and thoughts. You can't relax without having work withdrawals and you make work a source of significance. It defines who you are. What is the second question that most people get? It's, what's your name and what do you do? Have you noticed that? What's your name, what do you do? And it's easy to fall into that trap here in America where my work defines who I am. And that's the over-engaged person. And the fourth category when it comes to work is the underworker, where you do whatever it takes to avoid work. Leisure is the main goal. You have no clear career vision. You go from job to job. You just dabble in different things. You lack personal ambition or a career vision. And so I'm sure I've described most, if not all of you, in one of these categories. And sometimes you may find yourself in one category and And you might find yourself in another category, depending on where you are in your situation at work. 
And so if you find yourself in one of these categories, I want to spend the rest of our time here primarily focusing on how do you change your perspective? Because if this is your perspective, work is going to be a drag. You know, you're, you're going to hear that alarm clock tomorrow morning on Monday. And you know that saying, oh, Monday, here we go. Monday, 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 we got to do this thing again. You know, you're going to hit that alarm clock and say, okay, let's go back to work. You know, if you have that view tomorrow when you hit that alarm clock, I, I'm, I'm saddened for you. But I want to challenge you to think differently about tomorrow when you wake up. I want to challenge you to think vertically and not horizontally. So many of us, we, we view our jobs horizontal, from a horizontal perspective, and we'll, we'll look around and we'll say, okay, I, I can't wait to get that, that paycheck so I can do this, or, or I'm just seeking to get that promotion, or I'm seeking to get that raise, or I'm seeking to climb the ladder so I can be here. I'm seeking to please my customer or to please my boss or, or to get this reward or accomplishment. But here's the reality. When you think solely that way, you will find yourself disappointed and unfulfilled and unsatisfied. Because here's the thing. You may get a raise, but the, as Jim Cofield has said before, the shiny will wear off. You know, over time, you'll, you'll say, oh man, I'm ready for the next raise. And it's never enough. And you'll still not be completely fulfilled. Again, when you just focus your work horizontally, you're not going to really be fulfilled. So how do we turn our mindset vertically? Instead of asking the question, what is my duty towards my customer? We should be asking the question, what is my duty towards Jesus? That's what Paul's getting at here. Paul is saying the best motivator for work is knowing you're doing your work for the Lord. You're not doing it for customers. You're not doing it for your boss. You're not doing it for your spouse or even for your kids. All those can be helpful. But who are you doing it for? You're doing it for the Lord. That should be the primary motivator for all of us when we wake up tomorrow morning and go back at it. I'm working for the Lord. Verse 22, with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. With sincerity of heart, it means singleness of heart. We ought to obey and serve with an undivided mind with no ulterior motive or hypocrisy. When we work, we focus singularly on knowing that God is watching us, he's with us. Even when our employer may leave us, God is still with us. He's still watching our every move. He's listening to our every conversation. Even when our boss may not recognize a job well done, the good news is, God will. And that's what Paul's getting at here. That there will be rewards in heaven for what we do. You've heard me say this again before, but the movie Gladiator, my favorite line, what we do in this life echoes in eternity. It does. What we do in this life, it echoes into eternity. What we do in this life matters. And God is with us every second of the day. 
So your manager may not know your kids' names. He or she may not know about your birthday or about your life. They may be disengaged from you, but God isn't. He's with you, and he cares about every detail in your life. And so when you have a singleness of heart, when you, when you are focusing on fearing the Lord and working for him, then it will help you stay motivated and it will help you keep going until retirement or until you die. You'll be able to have a better attitude when you do menial tasks. All of us have to do things that we don't like to do. And I remember when I, I first started ministry, it was my first year as a pastor, I was just just writing down a list of all the things I never learned in seminary <laughs> that I had to do. I had to take out the trash. I had to be a janitor and custodian. I had to balance a budget. I had to put together policy manuals. I had to manage people. I had to worry about the landscaping. I had to deal with vendors. They don't teach you any of this in seminary. That's why a lot of guys quit after five years because they're like, I didn't know about all this stuff. Everybody has to do a job that they don't like to do. Everybody does. We all fall into that category. But here's the thing. Even those jobs that we do that seem meaningly, meaningless and mundane, they matter to God. God cares about when we even have a good attitude when we're cleaning toilets. He cares about when we're raking leaves like I did yesterday. He cares about when we clean dishes and change diapers. He cares, and he cares about our attitude, and he cares about our mindset and our perspective. And so you could be a CEO or you could be a janitor. And at the end of the day, God cares about how you view your work and how engaged you are in your work and with your work. Let me give you a couple quotes from people who have lived before us. Martin Luther the works of monks and priests, however holy and arduous they may be, do not differ one whit in the sight of God from the works of the rustic laborer in the field or the woman going about her household tasks. William Tyndall, if our desire is to please God, pouring water, washing dishes, cobbling shoes, and preaching the word is all one. William Perkins, a Puritan, polishing shoes is, is a sanctified and holy act. The action of a shepherd in keeping sheep performed as I have said it is as a good work before God as is the action of a judge giving a sentence or a magistrate in ruling or a minister in preaching. You could polish your shoes for the glory of God. There's a, a great book out there called Your Work Matters to God, a guy by the name of Doug Sherman. And Doug Sherman was talking to a friend who uh, was a, a CEO of a manufacturing company that put together pallets. Pallets. You know those wooden structures that hold boxes of whatever and they're transported on trucks? And Doug Sherman was saying, I was talking to my friend and my friend was asking me, Pastor Sherman, he said, uh, what's the eternal value of a pallet? Like, why do I get up every day to build pallets? And this is what he said. He said, trucks filled with pallets haul ruby red grapefruit to the Rio Grande Valley. The truck drivers pick up pallets full of cereals from Battle Creek, Michigan, and milk from Coppell, Texas, and deliver those goods to a supermarket. There, my wife purchases those items to make breakfast for our family. 
Think about all that's involved in putting breakfast on the table. All the workers with their special tasks and God-given skills. First, you have the farmers who raise the cows, grow the wheat, and tend the citrus trees. Then you have the scientists who ensure the purity of these different foods. And you have the farm laborers and those truck drivers. Then add the people who manufacture trucks and farm equipment. The people who build and maintain the highway system and the truck stock drivers who feed the drivers. Finally, the product arrives and the stock clerks at the grocery store bring the food items to the shelves. The cashiers ring up the sale and the baggers place the groceries and containers on the cart. And all those people work together to meet the needs of my family. And of course, my wife herself will prepare the food for the breakfast at the table. Oh, and by the way, where are my friend's palates in all of this? Well, they're underneath the boxes of citrus, underneath the cereal boxes, and underneath the dairy products. So my friend is integrally involved in making my world a better place. Palates. Making palates can be used for the glory of God. Your daily work is ultimately an act of worship to the God who called and equipped you to do it, no matter what kind of work it is. Whatever you do, Paul said in another passage, do it all for the glory of God. So tomorrow morning when you wake up, please think heavenly, vertically, not just simply horizontally. And it will keep you motivated for this week and hopefully into the next and the months to come. What happens when we serve God with sincerity and with reverence? We'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, as I mentioned earlier. And that's what he talks about here. So again, your employer may not appreciate all the things that you do, but God appreciates what you do. He knows you better than anyone. He will never forget your diligent efforts on this side of heaven. John Phillips, he said it this way, there will be a reward for the man who followed the plow just as for the man who filled the pulpit. There will be a reward for the man who worked in the factory just as for the man who went to the mission field. There will be a reward for the man who gave his life for science just as for the man who gave his life in sacrifice. What we do in this life matters. And God will reward us for what we do. And here's the second motivator. He'll also discipline us for what we don't do. We will answer for when we cut corners. And that's what the text goes on to say in verse 25. The wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. We will be paid back for the wrong we have done. God does not show favoritism to anyone. He doesn't show favoritism to anyone, including when we don't do our jobs right. So keep that in mind. We will reap what we sow. And so remember the scriptures that say we will reap what we sow. So when we cut corners, when we do jobs halfway, God is taking note of that. Let that also be somewhat of a motivator for you. But here's what I wanna mention When you go to work, remember that we are called as Christians to be life-giving presence. Life-giving. Think about Jesus. Jesus was a carpenter by trade. I'm sure there were days that were mundane for him as a carpenter, 
But could you imagine the work of art that Jesus must have done? I mean, we, we marvel at My- Michelangelo and Leonardo and their art. Imagine Jesus. Perfect. Perfect art, you know, carpentry. Wow. But everywhere Jesus went, he not only performed with excellence, but he made things better. He helped people flourish. So my question to you is, are you a life-giving presence at your job and at your work? Or are you a Debbie Downer? Are you bringing people down because of your cynicism and criticism and being critical? Or are you lifting people up? As Christians, we're called to lift people up. We're called to be life-giving presence, a life-giving presence just as Jesus was. Wherever he went, he made things better. And that's what we're called to do and who we're called to be. So again, as employees, keep that in mind. Paul briefly mentions in verse one of chapter four, employers, masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. You know what? I like what he's saying here to all employers, and many of you are supervisors. He's saying the employer must also come to terms with the fact that he or she too are under authority, and they are accountable for God for their behavior. So masters, employers, We need to live by the managerial golden rule. Treat your slaves in the same way that you want to be treated. So if you're dumping more responsibility on your employees, you need to also take on that responsibility. If you're expecting a full day of work from your employee, you need to also give a full day of work. You know, last weekend, I got to attend in the, at the military, I got to attend a conference for wing chaplains who are supervisors of, over other chaplains. That's my role now. And one thing they said is they said, hey, as a good practice, as a wing chaplain, you always need to be held accountable and tell people where you're gonna be so they know where you are. Just because you're the boss doesn't mean you can get away with things. And I love that principle. So if you find yourself managing people, keep that principle in mind. The managerial golden rule. Treat others as you want to be treated. You are held accountable just as they're held accountable. You have a master in heaven that you report to, that you are under authority. So keep that in mind. And as an employer, just love your people. Serve your people. Help them succeed. Ask them, how can I help you get better? Care about their families. Know about their anniversaries. You know, care about your people. Help them to flourish. Give them the training they need to get better. Give them feedback when they need it. Some masters, they, or some employers, they, 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 they shirk at having to have those hard conversations. No, you need to, because it'll help them get better. How else will they get better if you don't tell them what your expectations are? So these are just common principles that God gives us in his word. What I love about what we just went through the last few weeks is you see kind of a a common theme. Paul first talked about husbands and wives. Then he talked about parents and children. And now he talks about employee and employers. All of these relationships are important. And we all find ourselves in one or two or three of those kind of relationships. But the reality is, is every single relationship you find yourself in, you're reminded from these words that God is with you and God is over you. And so who do you live for? Who do you seek to work for? Do you seek to work for yourself 
Do you seek to gain approval from others or from your employer? Or do you seek to work to please the Lord? What Paul is saying here is work heartily for the Lord. You're not gonna do it perfectly. None of us are. You know, even after this message, hopefully you'll be a little more motivated tomorrow. But there's gonna be those hard days. So what do you do in those hard days? (laughs) You remember that God's grace is great. It's greater than all of your sin and our sin. And he's gonna help you each day to get back to work and to work for his glory and for our good. So remember you're not alone, but he's with you. And he's gonna help you as you struggle along in your job. But please keep the big picture in mind. Let's pray.